forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. What sins have you committed? <laughs> well... Hey everyone, welcome to Forgive Me, Father, a podcast where we discuss how certain aspects of life and a walk with God go together or don't mesh so well. Through discussions of personal vices and victories, we hope to help you, the listener, understand others more and create conversations, no matter what you've experienced or believe. So I have to I have to ask since we since we've kind of talked about this, give me like your top three favorite Disney movies. Oh gosh, right out of the gate, challenging question. Into it. That's right. Okay. And how did they affect your relationship with God? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they did. Okay. Okay. So Beauty and the Beast, just that's the sentimental one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlantis. People sleep on Atlantis Ooh. so hard. It's so good. Like it's it just because it's not doesn't have music and it's more actiony. It's so good. It and also had its own cereal. It did? I don't remember mm-hmm. that. I used to eat it all the time. Like the little marshmallows look like uh like the little like the, like the, the, the symbols that they made of up? the of that yeah. culture. Yeah. That rings a bell, actually. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And third one, probably. Well, does Pixar count or must, does it have to be Disney Disney? Uh, we can throw on Pixar because Pixar is kind of like an extension. Okay. It's got to be Ratatouille. I love Ratatouille. Yeah. Wow. You threw I in some. I love Ratatouille. Well, those are the, well, I feel like Atlantis is the only one that's like heavily slept on. But Ratatouille isn't as popular as, you know, other Pixar movies that have come out. And it should be. It's got a great message. It's got great animation. It's got great shots of food. It's all about food. Mm-hmm. I, I could talk about this for a while, but I feel like maybe this, this podcast about uh, relationships with God should not necessarily focus on my strong feelings about a rat movie. <laughs> maybe. But that's maybe, but still like, that's a that's a good point, because I feel like because you have the Incredibles, you have excellent. You have Up, made me cry. What else? There's Inside Out, Coco. Oh Inside Out God, and Coco, Coco are both really good. And I'm just like wondering, like, where do Ratatouille? Where does Ratatouille sit on that spectrum? You know, of like Pixar movies, because it doesn't get a lot of hype. Like Coco does and Up does and obviously well, the Incredibles was, and Toy Story. They did like, different things. Toy Story is, okay, everybody adores Toy Story and I don't want to take that away from anyone. It's never really hit me that hard. Same. I mean, you know, when they were going to the furnace and then always playing with the little girl and giving away his toys. Yeah, it's very, very cute. But like the deep sentimental value that people have with Toy Story, never quite got that. Me neither. It was never really a favorite of mine. It's never been like in a top five or top 10 or. No. I would shake your hand if we weren't several states apart. <laughs> Just reach through the screen. Well, there it is. Oh, there it is. I think for me, as much as I want to put Emperor's New Groove on there, I don't think it's like the top three mm-hmm. all time favorite Disney movies. Number one is is obviously The Lion King. That's probably 
the number mm-hmm. one classic spot for mm-hmm. me. First movie I ever saw as a kid in theaters. Second would probably be Aladdin. Because oh, good choice. Yeah. I think Robin him Williams. come on. Such a good one. Robin Williams was fantastic. The guy who played Iago was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh the story of Aladdin is is great. And I'm trying to think of a third. And my first thought is Robin Hood. Really? That was a that was a big one for me as a kid. I remember watched I watched that a lot. And that's a really old one that doesn't get a lot of hype either. Very forgotten in terms of like Disney. It's true. I think I've seen that one like maybe twice. Mm-hmm. And I watched Jungle Book a lot as a kid. So that mm-hmm. kind of gets thrown in there. But I'm mm, and then Tangled. Like if we're talking like temporary Ooh. recent movies, Tangled has to be in there mm-hmm. for me. It's fantastic. It's yeah, it's wonderful. <sighs> I wish say I Robin Hood. liked Brave more. Oh wow. Go ahead with your Robin Hood. I'm gonna say Robin Hood. Yeah, I I, I watched Brave and I cried. That's probably the last movie I actually cried in. Because it was talking about the love between a mother and and her child. And being from a family with only a mother, you know, like that just, I wept. But I think maybe I cried so much during that movie, I haven't been able to cry since. Mm. I think my tear ducts are just permanently dried out. Uh, So I definitely cry in that one. And then the other one that makes me cry easily is Good Will Hunting. That's probably one of my top three movies all time. I think you and I talked about that years ago. And I still haven't Probably. watched it. <laughs> Heavy advocate for, for Goodwill Hunting. That will always be another Robin Williams movie. But that one will always make me cry. Yeah. R.I.P. Rob. Today we have Hannah, who is here to talk to us about perfectionism and legalism and how Hello. those things tie into our walk with God. So, Hannah, thanks for being on. Thanks for taking your time to to hop on States Away. Absolutely. I'm excited to be a part of this. For our listeners, Hannah and I were a part of the same campus ministry. We were part of the same family of churches for quite some time. We spent time in the campus ministry together. Very clearly, I advocated for Goodwill Hunting, which she did not take to heart. (laughs) Hannah (laughs) Hannah has also been a great source for book recommendations for me. She actually just sent one to me after we had our little preliminary meeting for this podcast episode. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot that I have to dive into with that. Yeah. Okay. For the record, I have no negative feelings toward Goodwill Hunting. I just (laughs) am a little bit lazy with this. Your girl's busy. You're probably about to ask me to tell you about myself. Your girl's a grad student. Your girl's busy. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I don't really have an excuse for the books that I haven't read that you've sent me either. So. Well, I guess I guess we're even. I don't have I don't have room to talk. Which is well, fine. I did only send it to you like a day or two ago, and there's maybe seven books on that list. There's a little bit of an excuse. I've had several years. You well, actually, I remember you and I. So our church culture has this thing called encouragement dates, where you like just spend time, and it's basically kind of like a date, but it's within a safe setting, and it's usually a group date. And I remember one time you and I went on an encouragement date and you gave me a long list of recommendations for books. And I don't think I ever read through all of those. So if we're going to really even the playing field, (laughs) (laughs) 
that's yeah, in uh, that case no we're on the same level because i've probably not watched any of the movies and you may not have read any of the books i'd say we're even that's that's fair that's fair although we are now part of a friend anime watching event weekly which has been fun so oh, yeah. getting hannah's getting into anime slowly but surely whereas i have been trying to be more diverse in what i watch throughout the years so we're growing we're getting there yeah going somewhere going doing some stuff <laughs> you know we're going different places we're, we're, we're all going at some pace but yeah so hannah even though you and i go way back why don't you give us a little bit of of your history in terms of your walk with god and we'll jump straight into legalism and perfectionism all right well a quick background on just what I'm up to these days. I'm a, like I mentioned, I'm a grad student in Pittsburgh. I'm studying counseling psych. So throughout this uh, interview, I'm going to be mentioning some psych stuff throughout and wanted to give my background with that. Um, but yeah, like John mentioned, I am, I was a part of the same campus ministry as him back in the day with a particular non-denominational Christian church family. But I was also raised in that church family. My parents have been a part of that church since before I was born and they raised me and my sister in it. And like they were actually leaders in different capacities within that church throughout my entire life, like from leading small group discussions involved with the church to taking positions as elders, which are people who help direct the wider scope of, the, of a particular church. And anyway, when I was about uh, 12 or 13, I went through a series of one-on-one -on -one Bible studies that kind of helped me start to understand what that church's doctrine was and ultimately guided me towards baptism. And I did get baptized when I was about 13 and continued to hold faith as a really, as a really all-encompassing foundational element of my life throughout middle school, throughout high school, and throughout my years in undergrad. Uh, although after I left college, we'll get into this a bit, but uh, I went through some things and at the end of all of that, I decided to step away from the church and religion in general. And that's where we're at. Yeah. And I think when it comes to church culture and people who grow up in whatever church denomination that you are a part of, legalism and perfectionism can kind of be this, I think it can always linger with a lot of people that I've talked to who grew up in a church culture. There is sort of this, I have to follow a certain amount of rules, whether they're spoken or unspoken, heavily enforced, or just kind of like guidelines. I think that, I think it is a little easier to to fall into that. And for our listeners, Webster's Dictionary defines legalism as strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. And then perfectionism or a perfectionist is a person who refuses to accept any standard short of perfection. And I think with Jesus being the, the perfect human, you know, being God incarnate, walking this earth, never giving into sin, there is a standard of perfection. And so following Jesus, trying to be like him, there can be this expectation of, of perfection. I agree. I know for me, I had, I felt that I felt that, that pressure to be perfect. So if, I guess, how would you define perfectionism or legalism within the realm of your own life? And where have you kind of give us a, a, a history of, of how that's played into your walk with God? Sure. Uh, let's see, with legalism, I think that the dictionary definition that you gave was pretty on point. For me, I'd say it was doing something because 
the rules say that it's just what you are are supposed to be doing. It's what you ought to do rather than necessarily Mm -hmm. like that lifestyle stemming from a sense of gratitude or trust or like even just like love for a God that comes from wanting to follow the rules and do things capital R right. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of perfectionists can get caught up in legalism because legalism exactly as the definition was saying was is having really high standards for yourself paired with really intense self-criticism like Mm -hmm. i don't know for me perfectionism is a really really powerful lie that there's a way that i can live my life without disappointing anyone or feeling any pain and that i should Mm -hmm. be able to find that way to live which when I say it out loud, it sounds totally impossible, totally unrealistic, but it's such an like such a powerful, beautiful thing in my mind that maybe I could live my life without pain, mm-hmm. which you know, not really a thing. And I mean, that came out for me in so many different ways throughout my life. I don't know if there's ever been a point at which I haven't been a perfectionist, uh, where that was like in school, like taking my assignments so seriously because. It's just very hard for me to say, like, okay, this thing, it's good enough. Like, even if it's not excellent, it's good enough. That's Mm -hmm. not really how I lived my life. Like, excellent was my good enough. And so, had to get there. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, the story that John and I, we talked about in our prep for this interview was uh, kind of a perfectionist nightmare. Um, So, like, it kind of goes back to, like, the summer of 2017. Uh, way back when. Let me way set the back scene. When. <laughs> <laughs> the little dream like scenario, the little dream ripple effect. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I was thinking of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So back then I had just graduated from uh, college with my bachelor's. It was actually a year early. I was in a relationship with a really wonderful guy. I was getting ready to start multiple part-time jobs, but one of which with a psychology research center that I was really excited about about to take a little bit of grad school not fully but honestly just all of the things that I felt like I'd been striving towards for my entire life it kind of felt like it was all coming together like it's really cliche to say it but I felt hashtag blessed Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and just feeling like I am somehow doing it all right like Mm -hmm. I love my friendships my family and I are getting along really well my career my school like my faith, it all feels like it's going so well. I was like, woohoo, that means I must be great. And then mm. everything fell apart. <laughs> and I say that to be a little dramatic, but it honestly did. Um, mm-hmm. Keeping it pretty brief, uh, I was in an accident with my family. And thankfully, the only things that were lost or damaged were things that we could replace with money. Like we're all physically okay. But the accident itself was really really traumatizing for me like as a perfectionist I am naturally really in love with being in control and this accident Mm -hmm. really really terrified and horrified me because I had so little control and felt so helpless and totally insufficient to make myself be okay in that moment and in those moments of the accident and in the months that followed Like I've always, I mean, I've been in psychology, been on this career path for the past, well, close to a decade now. Uh, And I've kind of prided myself on 
taking good care of my mental health, but I started having panic attacks, like from that accident on, sometimes many throughout the week, sometimes multiple ones within the same day. And I just like really could not seem to shake this trauma that I'd gone through. And Mm -hmm. that kind of immediately set me off because perfectionists do not like not having our feet underneath of us. We like to feel like, okay, I can handle everything that's going to come at me. But things just kind of kept going. So over the next three-ish months, it was kind of creepy that it was almost clockwork, that every two weeks something new would happen that was really challenging and painful. So I'll summarize it really tightly. Um, I started working three part-time jobs, including that one at the center. I started a grad school class and started working on apps for grad school. I moved. I got very, very sick in a way that took me out for about a week and a half. I found out that a family member who I was close to was diagnosed with cancer. I got a concussion that took me out for another two weeks. I uh, quit two of the three jobs that I was working, broke up with my boyfriend, and had another injury that made walking and sleeping very, very difficult for me for a while. And also had two grandparents die within about a week and a half of each other, and one of which was very surprising. And yeah, all of that happened in the span of about two and a half, three months. And throughout all of that, I was still having very consistent panic attacks, just slowly seeing my mental and physical and social health fall apart and feeling totally Mm -hmm. insufficient to be the person who I'd worked so, so hard to become. Just all of the things that I really valued about myself. Like I was a good student. I was a hard worker and an effective worker. I was a good friend. I was a very supportive person. I was strong. I was capable. I was a good Christian and a good disciple. Uh, Mm -hmm. I couldn't say any of those things about myself by the end of that period. One of the Mm -hmm. things that was most challenging was, I mean, like I mentioned, my religious upbringing and the community that came along with it were a really, really, I want, I want to say, I don't, I don't even want to say a big part. It was my entire support system. Mm -hmm. And after the accident, church became one of the main triggers for my panic attacks. So every Mm -hmm. week, for months on end. Uh, (laughs) Every time I would go to service, I'd go in with like the best of intentions, being like, okay, I can do this this time. And then within about 20 minutes of the service starting, I would be sprinting out of the building to hyperventilate Mm -hmm. and have my panic attack. Um, And being so scared at that. Because with uh, with my psychology background, uh, I knew enough to know that, all right, if I keep having panic attacks at church, I'm going to start associating church with panic, and then I'm going to hate mm. it and want to avoid yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And so I need to get this under control. I need to get myself under control. Like, mm-hmm. kind of going back into tying together the legalism and perfectionism, my understanding of the world was that if you do it right, it being life, like it being religion, it being a walk with God, then things will go your way. And things Mm -hmm. just would not go my way. So I assumed I'm not trying hard enough. 
I'm not doing yeah. enough of the right things. I'm not mm-hmm. reading enough of my Bible. I'm not praying enough. I'm not spending enough time with uh, other people of faith. Like in some way, the pain that I'm feeling right now must be because of my insufficiency. Mm-hmm. And that slowly broke me. Uh, it just, it's hard for me to say that. And also to recognize about three years out of that time of my life that it was very true. Uh, I was in counseling from about a month after the accident on through like last week, (laughs) Um, which was helpful and necessary in that time. But uh, as I was continually seeing my health deteriorate, I had to recognize by the time my second grandparent died that I wasn't really capable of taking care of myself anymore. Mm. Uh, I started, my performance in my class started suffering. My performance at work started suffering because my friends, you know, who had the best of intentions really had no idea what to say to their Mm -hmm. deeply traumatized, uh, deeply grieving friend. Like I started withdrawing socially and eventually just, started getting scared to get a notification on my phone because something else I thought was going to happen every time. Like I ended up started Mm. not wanting to leave my apartment feeling like I don't love this analogy, but it's one that feels very accurate feeling like a whipped dog, just kind of wanting to hide in a corner and wait out the next inevitable hit. Mm. Ah. and realized, you know what? I'm not doing so great right now. I, mm-hmm. I can't do it. And even more so than the trauma of my accident, the pain of all the different things that I went through in those months, recognizing and admitting to myself that I just couldn't do it. I was not enough. I didn't have the strength to carry on, to do what I wanted to do. That was crushing for me. And also thinking throughout that, God expected me to rely on him enough to make this work, to Mm -hmm. find my health again. Like I shouldn't have so many panic attacks because God is supposed to give me peace, right? But yeah, Mm -hmm. felt like a... I ended up moving back home with my parents, uh, which did help me because I got to meet with my counselor in person rather than over the phone. But yeah, just overall felt like an absolute failure in all the things that I mentioned that I cared about and just like as a person. It was, it was a bad time. And it took a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of, counseling from a professional to help me recognize that a lot of my continued pain had nothing to do with anything that was in my power to change Mm. and more to do with my with the very very rigid standards that I had set up for myself I thought that I had to be able to do things on my own that if I wasn't yeah. sufficient to take care of it myself, then I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And if it didn't come, then that was my fault. 
mm-hmm. it being health, it being approval, it being success. And yeah, it took a long time to recognize like, no, I went through hell. <laughs> yeah. I lost so much. Uh, mm-hmm. And that it was a natural and human thing to experience suffering as a result and to keep feeling that suffering, even if it wasn't immediately happening. Like somehow I believed that through my perfectionism, through my legalistic understanding of God and Christianity, I believed that I had earned this, earned my suffering, and Mm. that I needed to be somehow find more within myself to fix it. It took so much time for me to be able to come to the conclusion like, nope, (laughs) no, I just get to be a human. I get to be in pain if something hurts. Mm -hmm. And sometimes things hurt and it's not my fault. Not every, Mm -hmm. the world isn't fair. And that's weirdly a relief. Yeah. Because if I'm not to blame for every bad thing that happens to me and the people who I love, wow, this is great. (laughs) What what Mm -hmm. freedom, what whimsical joy this could bring. And yeah, as I started understanding that uh, that lack of control that I had in my life and the lack of need for control in my life, I started questioning the things that did not help me get through that period. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which was some social relationships that I realized were not necessarily supporting me in the way that I needed to be supported at that point. Uh, and my relationship with God. I, mm-hmm. I thought, I remember thinking back during several of my counseling sessions about times that I felt like God had been with me throughout any of that or when I'd gotten mm-hmm. any ounce of peace or relief from doing the things that I knew to do to connect with God, praying, reading, meditating, being with uh, other people of faith. And I realized none of that ever helped me in that period. Mm. I, and I realized that using that kind of hyperbole of never sounds like it could be a bit reductive. But in this case, it wasn't. I, it just was not helpful for me. And in and of itself, that recognition was another set of trauma because I fought rec- like actively recognizing that for about a year and a half following mm-hmm. all of those events. Just saying like, no, this is all I've ever known. This set of right and wrong and how to live a life, this is all I know. It can't be wrong because then I have no idea what to do with myself. No yeah, idea what to yeah. do with my life. Mm-hmm. But eventually, wearing that mask of I can be a, a good Christian, I can believe in this, I can give this God who, in my mind, in my understanding, demanded my every effort to be perfect, like he was perfect. It's hard for me to finish this sentence because it, it still evokes a lot of anger. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that I didn't 
want that life. It was so hard for me to admit that to myself that I didn't want that God. I didn't want those standards because they didn't help me and they didn't feel right anymore. And Mm -hmm. I questioned recognizing my, my tendencies towards perfectionism and legalism and doing things because I was told they were what I ought to do. Started questioning like, is this something that I've actually wanted in my life or was I just going along with the path of least resistance that I saw could give me the most praise, the most approval in my social network while I was there. Mm-hmm. And after, like I said, a very, very long time and a lot of, uh, a lot of necessary processing time saying like, no, it's not like, I can't keep this mask on anymore. It's hurting me so much to pretend to li- to be this person who I'm not. Mm-hmm. and then deciding to let it go say i don't i'm not going to be a part of this church anymore i'm not going to worship or be around a god that i don't necessarily even believe in anymore mm. it seemed like the world was a much kinder place or my world was a much kinder place without mm-hmm. that authority trying to tell me whether or not i was good enough Mm-hmm. yeah and so i mean that those that period honestly in which i was struggling with my faith was more challenging than uh than the three or four months in which all the things kept happening and my life was falling apart mm-hmm. I, I don't know i you again you and i talked a bit ahead of this about um what victory may have come through past that and I thought mm-hmm. when I was like initially writing things down and prepping for this, like it's going to be the moment that I said, all right, I'm done with this. I'm done with this mm-hmm. mask. I'm done with this life. I'm done calling myself a disciple, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like, that's not it. Yeah. I think the victory was actually about a year after that. Yeah. When I moved, I, I was still living with my parents at that point. And when I moved out of my parents' place for grad school, to give myself a totally new start. Uh, Like I decided that, all right, I'm going to move to Pittsburgh, do my grad school thing, and just give myself a totally clean slate, give myself the space to roam and permission just to figure out who I wanted to be without the church's framework for the first time in my life. And whoever that person was, I was just going to try to love that person. (laughs) And the process of doing that in finding love for the authentic Hannah <laughs> has been the greatest victory of my life. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things that you hit on that was very well put and very interesting in the way that you said them. So I think the one that you said most recently was that the freedom or the the biggest victory wasn't leaving church. It wasn't getting out of that culture. Cause I think that can be like the, the the one that we look at like oh i'm not happy in this relationship with god let me leave it and then everything is like automatically fixed and that's never the real issue mm, not for me at least not yeah <laughs> for me i was god wasn't the issue i think it was a lot of the culture that i was a part of and the ways that perfectionism and legalism was placed on me or the ways that i viewed it and so i'm with you in terms of like the greatest victory was afterwards when you start to rebuild 
with the freedom that I don't have to be perfect. I think for me, there was no perfect standard of who I was anymore. And that way, when I explored life outside of church, I didn't have a standard that I had to meet. It was like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to go out and I'm going to drink with friends. I'm going to go out on dates with these random girls. I'm going to, you know, indulge in these philosophical, spiritual conversations, but there's no perfect standard that I have to meet in terms of, you know, like this makes me a good person or this makes me apt in this area of life. And I felt like I could actually just be me for the first time. And I think the, the biggest victory was realizing like, that's okay. I don't have to have a certain itinerary to meet before I can be comfortable with who I am. Yeah. Like you can find your own standards and like some of them, like I did keep some of the standards that I was raised with, with the church, but others just, I eventually came to the recognition like, yeah, these living these out doesn't feel authentic to me. doesn't feel genuine. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Like I, I have to be an individual person. Mm -hmm. Just with like legalism and perfectionism, because a lot of times, and this is something that you had had you and I had talked about before was that like God becomes such a central part. You know, if you're a Christian, God is at the center. He has to be at the absolute center. That's, that's Christianity. You know, you base all your life decisions based upon what's going to glorify God. How can mm -hmm. I grow closer to God and his people throughout these times? But when there is the danger of like, I have to meet, or if I do everything by the book, if I become this perfect expectation, then I find favor with God. And if I fall short of that, then bad things will happen. In John 9, Jesus and his apostles come across a man who was born blind. And their question to Jesus is, whose sin was it that this man was born blind? And so there's always kind of been this in Jewish culture and Christianity culture. It's always like, if something goes wrong, it's because some somewhere, somehow, you haven't been right with God. There's some sin that's been finagled in there. But something that you had said is that after your trauma, after everything you had gone through, was that God was supposed to be the healer. Mm -hmm. And then when you found that you didn't heal, you said that you blamed yourself for not being godly enough. That's right. Can you elaborate how the church maybe perpetuated that stigma or helped you kind of come out of that in any way? I guess like in what, what role yeah. did the church play when, that, when those thoughts came in? When you ask me that question, I have a particular conversation come to mind <laughs> with uh, a woman in the church who I know loves me quite a bit uh, and did, was trying to love me in the moment, who said that there's two things that are kind of bopping around in my head still about that conversation. One was that someday all of this suffering was going to prepare me to be there for somebody else who was suffering. So it was worth it mm. in that way. Mm -hmm. And the other is that I think she may have actually used that particular passage in John 9, which I think says something to the effect of Jesus saying that in response to why was this man born blind? Because in some way it brings glory back to God. Yep. Women of the church told me that 
my suffering could somehow be God trying to grow something in me. That he had set up my life in such a way for my uh, <laughs> for this humbling to grow something greater in me. And the message that I got from both of these is that the God that is in your life right now is making this happen to you because he thinks yep. it will make you better because he, in his plan, all of this suffering is worth it eventually for maybe somebody else's benefit, maybe yours, but you just kind of have to ride it out in trust that he's going to take care of it. And that eventually mm -hmm. it'll be good enough as long as you're, you stay faithful and you stick with him in that culture or the culture that I think was behind that message saying like, if you're in pain, it's okay. It means God is working. God's doing something. Whereas in, in psychology and a lot of other things, pain can mean something's wrong. Something yeah. needs to change. Something needs active adjustment, which was not necessarily what I was being told. I was being told essentially to bear it out mm -hmm. rather than actually getting help. Like when I said, when I remember telling some people, I realize that I'm rambling a little bit, so feel free to interrupt me when necessary. Um, <laughs> I remember telling some people in some of the darkest parts of that hard time, after I told them like what I was going through and opened up and told them about my pain, their response was, wow, that sounds so terrible. I'll pray for you. And that was kind of it. Yep. Like, as somebody who has been struggling to find any sort of relief through my own prayer, that honestly just made me angry. And mm -hmm. to this day, it just kind of makes me sad that the idea of depending on a God in praying and talking to a God to change things that we may actually have the power to change for ourselves just really robs us of the ability to connect with each other and to actually mm -hmm. give help and develop a skill to help others in a way that I'm just taking our own responsibility for that and saying, instead of saying that somebody else, some other deity is going to do it in his own special way. I would have loved for somebody to say, wow, that sucks. Let's talk about this more. Let's, t let's send you to a counselor. Let's talk about your mental mm -hmm. health as something totally distinct from your spiritual health, even if it is impacting your spiritual health. Just somehow not having God be at the center of it when I didn't feel like God was helping me or <laughs> if God was involved, that he was actively harming me. Mm -hmm. I like to erase everything that I just said and come back to the thing <laughs> of saying the message that I got was that God was actively harming me for the sake of purifying me. Yeah. Yeah. Which was horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that pushed you back towards that legalistic, perfectionistic idea where it's like, okay, well, if God's harming me for, for my own good, I guess I have to continually find myself within his good graces by obedience and following the rules to a T and meeting this, this 
unattainable goal of myself because that's eventually how I'll get out of suffering? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that keeps perfectionists tied into our perfectionism is the idea that a little pain now will be worth it later on. That being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and wearing ourselves out will be worth it because we'll get to the other side eventually. We'll get to whatever our goal is through that pain. Yeah. And so absolutely that mentality, that message that I got from the church that a little bit of pain, a little bit of letting yourself get worn down even more, a little bit more purification by fire, and then you'll get to the other side. Yeah, that makes sense. I think (laughs) putting fire, putting the fire into purifier. Uh, (laughs) But it's interesting that you said that, you know, if it's a little bit of pain, it'll make you better in the end. And a repetitive conversation that I've had recently with my roommate is that I will work out until I feel like really sore or maybe I sprained something. I'm overworking myself with, with the podcast, with exercise, and then with my actual job. And she gets, she sees me at this point where she's like, you're going to run yourself into the ground. I'm like, no, it's fine. Like if I get used to this, my endurance becomes better. I become stronger. Like I can like do this. I can keep pushing. I can keep pushing. And then eventually I crash. Like I, I think I sprained basically my whole right side of my back a couple weeks ago and I, it hurt to move. It hurt to sleep. I couldn't do any semblance of a workout. Like I would sit up on the couch and then I would visibly what is the word cringe in pain from from that and she was like you idiot this is why you're supposed to rest this is why you're supposed to relax this is why you don't push through at a certain point when your body is telling you no and i just think that's really interesting how that comes back to play in a relationship with god well first of all is your back feeling better yeah <laughs> okay, my back good. is better eventually and i think we can even throw this into this like this comparison is that Eventually, I did take a break. I forced myself to relax. I think I took a week, almost a week and a half off of no exercise whatsoever. And she was continually checking up on me. She was like, are you working out? No? Good. Like, she even worked out in her room so that she wouldn't see me. Like, So I wouldn't see her working out and be like, oh, yeah, I can pick up a few weights. Or, yeah, I can go on a run. But my back is better. But it wasn't until I finally listened to my back and not what my mind and my perfectionistic thoughts were of that if i just push through this it'll be fine and i think the same thing can be said when it comes to a walk with god or spirituality that makes a lot of sense to me i think there are a lot of people who are able to find that boundary like past here i can't push anymore in my faith mm-hmm. and that helps them a lot to maintain a healthy faith where they they understand that that boundary of responsibility between what they can do and what they expect God to do. And that keeps it healthy for them for Mm -hmm. the way that my mind more naturally works. I put that boundary real far away from myself and say, I can get there. I can handle everything before this. And (laughs) yeah, not knowing when to set that standard of, okay, I've given my best. Now it's time for me to rest. Now it's time for me to take a, take <laughs> the onus off my own shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm speaking in present tense. And I also want to clarify, like through counseling and a lot of work on my own part, I have been able to 
work through a lot of my perfectionistic tendencies and learn to be a lot kinder to myself. But it is also yeah. going to be something that I work on my entire life. Oh, same. Absolutely. This is somewhere we can kind of transition into the idea of how to, you know, if you go to church and you are dealing with this balance of legalism, you know, kind of like what you were saying, it's, it's the effort and then what I can control versus what God can control. I think at least for the churches that you and I were a part of, they taught grace in terms of like, my grace is sufficient enough for you. Second Corinthians 12, we're saved by grace, Ephesians. And they taught that, but at least from my experience, there was kind of like this, if, well, if you're not doing this though, grace wasn't really talked about. It was more about like, well, you need to fix this attitude. You need to fix this, this action. You need to fix who you are. And then grace slowly comes back into the conversation. And I don't think that was ever intentional, but that's what actually fed my legalism and my perfectionism that for listeners, if you've listened to my prologue, that's what led to me eventually leaving the church or leaving God in general. And so I want to get your input, Hannah. Is there a way for us to find, for people to find balance with legalism and grace? Because it's supposed to be this balance in the church world where it's like, I want to do good deeds because God has done so much for me. But the danger is that we do these good deeds so that God will continue to like bless us. Is it possible to find a healthy balance between the two? Hmm. Honestly, no, but not necessarily for the reasons that may immediately come to mind. I don't think that there's a balance between legalism and grace because I think they are exact opposites. Legalism, I'm going by my own definitions here and others may have others that make more sense to them in a different context. That's fine. Legalism is doing things because they are the rule. And a faith mm -hmm. based on legalism can only be that. It is completely yeah. incompatible with a faith based on grace and gratitude. Mm -hmm. it's, I feel like it's kind of like saying, well, can this be either an apple or a banana? Can you find a balance between the two? Can you have both? Can you have a fruit be the both? I mean, I don't know enough about... Jam them! <laughs> I don't know enough about bioengineering. To There's probably a way to do it, but no, not with having either of them be what they actually are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think for somebody who recognizes that they are really struggling with a legalistic faith or legalistic elements to their faith, who doesn't find that to be uh, the kind of exit sign that you and I may have taken it as. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the answer is get more things right or try harder or yeah. maybe not even like get corrected. I think one thing that I learned throughout this entire process was that a lot of the spiritual struggles that I went through were partially because I just wasn't able to be flexible in my standards for myself mm. or my faith. I was only really willing to go by what other people told me would work. And I mm -hmm. think that's where a lot of legalism stems. Mm -hmm. I think people who want a faith-based, uh, sorry, a grace-based faith, that's hard to say. Nailed it. Thank you. Need to take the time and go through the actual effort 
to make their faith personalized. Figure out the places that you are just going by what somebody else told you should work. And recognize whether or not it actually does. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, you got to figure out what will work for you. And if nothing will, then that's another conversation that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, I agree. I think something that I was always taught was that we don't work hard so that God will give us many things. God has given us many things and that's why we work hard. That was a like a slogan or a mantra that was kind of permeated throughout the church that I was a part of. And it makes sense on paper. It does. But I think the execution, it has to, you have to take a close look at that. And you have to take a, cl- a close look at how you operate as a human. And I think if you're in a church or you have any type of mentoring position, and that's kind of your philosophy, and not that that's a wrong philosophy, I think you have to take a hard look at how you present that and how you continue to to work with that person because the way that your mind works in terms of like oh i'm going to do this because i'm so grateful to god is going to be completely different from the way that hannah and i's minds have worked through through our walk with god in the past because you don't want to accidentally perpetuate legalism because i don't think it's ever intentional It's never thrust upon somebody of like, follow these rules, then you're good. Nobody ever explicitly says that because God would never explicitly say that. But I think sometimes it can be twisted maybe from somebody's own mind or perspective or the way that it's presented to become that. And that's the Mm -hmm. danger. And that's something that as mentors, it's something to look out for. I I agree with that. That actually, that hits me pretty hard because I know uh, particularly during college that I was a very legalism uh, oriented mentor towards a couple of people. And in conversations that I've had with some of my mentees through the church uh, afterwards, I had to recognize I really did them a disservice in that and Mm -hmm. telling them like this, this one box here is the way that you will be able to fix this. Yeah. When they were saying, I'm trying that and it's not working for me. I need mm-hmm. to try something new, something different, something that isn't necessarily told that I should do this by the church. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, absolutely not. And I really, really regret that now. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there are leaders and mentors in churches all as a whole, in addition to the one that you and I were a part of, who have really, really heard the, the issue that you and I are talking about here. And I've really striven to change the way that they approach mentorship. Mm-hmm. To be more responsive, to be more flexible, to encourage the people who they are mentoring to find their own faith in their own walk. But I think old habits also tend to die hard and mm-hmm. old cultures even more so. So mm-hmm. like I said, my, my family has been in this church for decades. I would be very surprised if they, if any others in my family were to follow me out of it. But from what I'm hearing from them, that is becoming a new tendency. It's in, they're trying to integrate that practice into the church that you and I were a part of. And some are 
changing and some are not. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. with all of the talk of individualizing your faith or lack thereof that you and I are talking about. I feel like it's important to clarify you can do this and be faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can mentor other people as a person of faith and still respect and honor their individual needs. Mm -hmm. Like for me and for you, John, being genuine wasn't compatible with a life of faith such as it was taught to us or such as we can understand through the Christian doctrine. Right. But for others, that's not necessarily right. That's not what is true for them. And that's also perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's great to, for you that still has close contact with people that are within the churches that we were a part of. It is very relieving to hear that there are efforts to meet people where they're at more than there were. Even in the time where you and I were there, I left in 2018. And so just in the, in the short span of two years, it's nice to know that there are a lot of efforts being made. And I think, and maybe this goes into the, the advice portion of, I think when I was struggling with legalism and I brought up the ideas of, I think I'm just following this code or this creed from the church so that I can be in the good graces or keep it even got to this point where I thought like, if I don't follow a certain amount of rules, I won't be able to glorify God with the gifts that God has given me, whether that was leadership, singing, speaking, whatever it was, it got to this point where like, this is where I feel most at one with God, but I'm not following these rules to a T. So now I'm being told that I can't do these things until I readjust and start following the rules again. And I lost my authenticity. Or like my drive to like serve God in that way because I just felt like I was following rules. Mm-hmm. But I think something that I wish had been done differently was that I wish I had been listened to a little more. And I think it would have been great to have somebody sit down with me and really dive into why I feel that way and to be listened to rather than be corrected for that way of thinking. It, it almost felt like my feelings weren't valid regardless of, of what regardless of whatever sin may have been apparent, which I, I'm not perfect. Sin probably was apparent in a lot of different ways. But I wish somebody would have taken time to really listen and, and validate those feelings and then move forward with me rather than saying, well, you're falling behind. Follow these rules. Here are some scriptures. Catch back up. And then you'll be back in, good, in God's good graces. So the advice portion for you, what would your advice be to mentors if someone were to bring this to them, they're feeling legalistic, they're feeling perfectionistic in their relationship with God, and it's starting to damage a genuine walk with him. Wow. Well, first of all, I want to kind of bring some honor to what you said just now. I'm sorry that that's what you went through in your own walk with God in your time there. That's, it's really invalidating to be told that you can't, use the gifts that you have that you recognize in yourself because you aren't checking the right boxes for them. And mm-hmm. like granted, you know, devil's advocate, if you are in a position of leadership, sure. The standard is that you do your best and right. that you can strive to be a model of the morals or the 
the lifestyle that you're trying to teach. But mm-hmm. I think right. coming back into the advice, something that I would hope that leaders within the faith, within any faith, would keep in mind is to be vulnerable in their own weaknesses and to be mm. learn how to be kind to themselves and generous toward themselves in their own weaknesses, in their own failings. Because in my experience as a mentor, the things that I was hardest on others about were things that I recognized I also struggled in. Mm. Or the things that I had fought, fought, fought to get right. Right. So my understanding was very self-based, very self-standardized, and also very unforgiving. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can't give grace to others that you don't have towards yourself. So more succinctly, to mentors and leaders in the faith, learn how to be kind to yourself so that you can also be kind to others. Listen Mm. to yourself. Practice listening to yourself so that you can also know how to listen to others. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, because I I know I had already mentioned it, but in 2 Corinthians, it's 11 and 12, actually. Paul talks a lot about grace and how grace was sufficient enough for him that when he is weak, then he is strong. And he taught that as an apostle to people of a church. And I think if you're mentoring somebody, grace has got to lead the conversation. In my opinion, I think when somebody brings something to you, they feel like they're falling short. They feel like something's going wrong. If the immediate response is, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to whatever it might be. You're accidentally, because hopefully it's not intentional. You are creating a legalism mentality because you're invalidating feelings. And honestly, I, I don't think you give people hope to, to, to be better. I think you just scare them straight. And a relationship with God is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to bring hope and peace and love and prosperity, not fear, cowering, and an escaping from hell. Wow, that is very powerful. I agree so much. I, when you said the word hope, that just kind of like sent the shock through my system because I don't know that hope was ever really emphasized in mm. like any of the mentoring relationships that I had unless it was hope that I could essentially get my act together yep. and be better. Yep, same. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I don't know, I think you mentioned this earlier in that it's a very self-perpetuating cycle in that that was the way that I believe the people who mentored me were taught to understand their sin in themselves mm-hmm. in, as sinful creatures. But that's, like, you're right. A faith of fear has no choice to be, but to be legalistic. Mm-hmm. Like, people, I, I can't remember exactly where in Scripture it is, but... I think it's in first John somewhere, but that there is no fear in perfect love. Yeah. A terror of your, towards your own weaknesses, towards your own failings. That is not a healthy way 
to live your life to consider yourself as a person, let alone to establish your own religion. A respect mm. and an acknowledgement towards weakness definitely necessary, but a fear yeah. towards failing is central to perfectionism. I think it's a big part of legalism, and it's absolutely detrimental to personal well-being because failure is absolutely inevitable which kind of ties back to what i was saying with my advice towards mentors in learn to accept and appreciate your own weaknesses be kind towards yourself in them because fearing failure and fearing consequences of failure in a religious setting is just incompatible in my experience with a joyful faith which i think is what people mm -hmm. really want yeah yeah first john 4 verse 18 there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love when yeah, you're legalistic when i'm legalistic yeah <laughs> uh when i'm legalistic love isn't on my mind I think it's on my mind, but it's this, it becomes this far off unobtainable goal or it is the goal and I won't have it until I become perfect until I fall, follow every rule to a T then I have love. But then that motivation, if the goal is to, is to reach love, then my motivation can't is to obtain love. It isn't love itself because then I'm driven by the fear of like, I won't get that love if I fail. And I think that that's where I fell short. That's where I think some mentors failed me. And I think if you're a mentor, it's okay to fear what could happen to this soul if they, you know, continue to live a life of sin. But don't be driven by that fear when you mentor them because then you perpetuate that fear onto them. You have to be that area that you have to love first so that they can see that love so that they can know that they already have that love and then they can be driven to chase God by love as well. Snaps to that. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the second part, the other side of the coin is for any listeners that are dealing with legalism, they feel perfectionistic, whether it's in a church or outside of a church. Once again, the podcast is meant to start conversations about this, this concept. So Hannah, what would be your advice to someone who is struggling with perfectionism, struggling with legalism and wants to be free of that? Well, I think one of the hardest things for a perfectionist to do is recognize that their perfectionism is harming them, not helping them. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's, that's a difficult, uh, barrier to overcome to start a healing process mm -hmm. i think i would recommend that a perfectionistic person purposefully set aside time like a good amount of time not like the five minutes you have in between the 30 tasks that you already have scheduled for yourself for the day but a really significant piece of time across a period of time evaluate whether your perfectionism is actually helping you not if it's making you more productive, not if it's making you more successful in different areas of your life, if it's bringing you money. Does it make you happier? Does it lead to a healthier you? If you aren't sure that it does, 
you deserve to be happy. Mm-hmm. You have what's what it takes to find a way that to live that does sustain you. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to fail sometimes. That's an impossible thought to have as a perfectionist and to actually take seriously. But start to internalize the inevitability of your own failures and their relative unimportance. It's part of being a human to sometimes not be or have enough. If you're not treating yourself as a human, you can't be healthy. (laughs) Very true. Man, that is one of my biggest pitfalls. Because I think... Because once again, perfectionism doesn't isn't just within the church. It's kind of stim- it, it's everywhere. If you're a perfectionist, you're a perfectionist with that, whatever you do. You know, at the very beginning, oh, yeah. you had talked about how school and you know friendships and you know it's not just a relationship with God. And I feel that even now with this podcast, is that like I want every episode to be perfect. I want my execution to be perfect. I want the editing to be perfect. I want the guest to be perfect. Just kidding, uh, but like. I want, you know, I just want this. (laughs) I have a lot more grace with other people. It's mainly like where I can control things. That's like, I want this to be perfect. But what I've had to realize is that when I chase that perfection so relentlessly, the quality of episodes actually drops. And it's not the guest's fault because they're answering questions. They don't have to deal with this outside pressure of the podcast. They're like, I get in, I do these questions, we have fun, you know, and like, this is great. But the, the lack of quality is on me because I push myself too far where it starts to have a negative effect. And it's a good point that you made where you said, is my perfectionism making me better? Or is it making what, you know, whatever I'm pursuing better? And I think that's, that's a really big thing where I have to stop and evaluate and say, okay, I need the next two days off. Maybe I still have work. Maybe I still hang out with friends. But I'm going to take a break from the podcast so that I can go back with fresh eyes. And so that I can have a more relaxed version of myself, I have to, my ease of perfectionism is giving myself a break, is like cutting myself off. And I don't think I'll ever be over being a perfectionist. I think that'll always be something I kind of deal with. But it really is important to ask those questions that Hannah was, was offering, you know, does that make you better? Because even though you may struggle with perfectionism the whole time, you can, you can learn to, to identify those triggers and even learn to identify, like, I need to take a step back or I need to cut this thing off completely because it is running me into the ground. Yeah. Something that you said there triggered another thought of uh, advice, <laughs> that, of something that's worked really well for me. Make it a little bit of an experiment of giving yourself standards to say, okay, this is good enough. Like I decided at the beginning of this year, 2020, to stop working at six o'clock, which is not something that is necessarily uh, a normal thing in grad school. We're like work into the mm-hmm. late hours of the night and then wake up early to continue whatever you were working on. <laughs> but deciding, all right, once six o'clock comes, I'm just going to stop working and see how that goes for me. <laughs> And mm-hmm. it's actually come, it's turned out really well. I have more time to do things that I care about, hang out with people who I love, you know, prior to quarantine. But just that openness to having an experiment of, okay, what will happen if I let my standards relax just a little bit and just, mm-hmm. just see what happens? 
because then that's also a good way of showing like is this standard actually making my life better or just kind of stressing me out for no good reason give yourself the chance to maybe make some mistakes see what happens yeah because it is it is really possible to have a passion for something and to have a healthy obsession with something but perfectionism can lead down a dark road of obsession it's kind of the darker side of that coin where you end up destroying yourself just for the idea of something and you know you can i think for me i realized that i can't like i said i can't let this podcast be all that it can be if i reach that level of obsession where everything has to be so meticulous and perfect i'm obsessed with this thing i love this i love what i'm doing <laughs> uh but i've started to identify when i am going too far and that's been really helpful and the other part is having a bit of openness and accountability with somebody else. So with my room, with this podcast, my roommate is, has become basically my accountability person where I'll be sitting on the couch working on this and I have something playing in the background and she comes out of her room because she's working from home right now. And she'll say, did you eat? And I'm like, ah, and then the next question, have you moved from that spot? <laughs> and then the, the, to which the response is still, ah, you know, because I don't want to admit with myself that I, I've become a little too obsessed. Uh, and then she goes, put that down, get something to eat and pour yourself a drink, my guy. And then, you know, it's nice to have that accountability to help me to relax and to get out of that perfectionistic attitude. Because sometimes we need people that are going to help pull us out of that. Once again, with being a mentor, you have to lead with love when someone's so obsessed with the legalism of something. You have to be able to pull that person away and give them a, a fresh perspective to reorient things in a healthy way. So if you're, a if you're struggling with perfectionism, if you feel like you're a perfectionist, ask yourself deep questions, but also have somebody that can pull you out of those deep waters when you don't even realize sometimes that you're going too far. I think that's really good advice. Do <laughs> I have a psychology degree? No, I studied English. <laughs> no, nah, you don't need a degree to give good advice or to have good mental health. <laughs> It just helps you get paid for it. Oh, well, I guess I'm going back to school a third time because I also studied Spanish and a little bit of philosophy. <laughs> so this has been a lot of helpful discussion of legalism and perfectionism because I think everybody to a certain degree has had a bit of an experience with being legalistic or, or feeling a certain type of perfectionism. First of all, Hannah, thank you so much for being on the podcast, for taking all this time. And even though you listeners won't hear it all, for us having our little moments, we're like, edit, 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 where we have to, <laughs> it's a sign for me to go back through uh, and make sure this is everything that it can be, because there were a lot of ideas that were bouncing around. But thank you for, for putting up with me and, and being on here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and letting me ramble on and on, because you can edit most of it out. <laughs> I also ramble, so it's it's a good to once again have that balance. But obviously there is a lot more to discuss about this topic, a lot more to learn, and a lot more to a lot more effort to put into bridging this gap between those who maybe are legalistic or perfectionistic and those who aren't but who want to help or who want to start more discussions. Uh, I put this in the description on the Instagram and the Facebook page for this episode, but for Hannah's professional career, we are not giving out any contact info for her, but she does have some recommendations for books and maybe some sites that, that you can check out if you have more questions. So Hannah, 
what you got for us? Well, I, once again, I appreciate you letting me have my little bit of, uh, I have no idea how to say this word, it, anonymousness. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I will say that if you are interested in receiving counseling of your own, as I said, it was extremely helpful for me. Uh, and I, it's extremely helpful for a lot of people. There is a website called Psychology Today that will help connect you to the contact information of dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of therapists in your area. You can check to see if they take your insurance or if they don't take insurance at all, what their rates are. You can shop around a little bit to see what kind of connection would work for you. I know it can be a big financial commitment. It can be an intimidating uh, venture, but it can be so helpful in dealing with with personal challenges, with any sort of personal trauma. And if you're just curious about yourself too, nothing has to be wrong with you to go see therapy. And there's no wrong enough to merit therapy. Mm. It's just a, a good thing to do. Kind of like going for a regular checkup with your doctor. Like even if nothing's wrong, it's still good to get a professional to say like, yep, you're pretty good. But anyway, Psychology Today, <laughs> great website. Uh, if you're more of a reader, couple of books that have really helped me are uh, Option B by Cheryl Sanderson. Uh, people can have their own opinions about Facebook, and I'm not going to get into that today. She is one of the uh, co-chairs of Facebook, and let that be what it is. This book is really, really great. Uh, Sanderson has been through a lot of challenging things herself, and this book is a very straightforward, very vulnerable, very relatable discussion of working through trauma in a way that is kind to you and also helps you actually do something about it. Uh, and my girl Brene Brown just has endless <laughs> excellent things to say about perfectionism and self-kindness. She has a Netflix special that I hope is still up because I haven't looked at it in a minute and a lot of YouTube videos, but she also has a book mm -hmm. called The Gift of Imperfection that is just chef's kiss excellent. <laughs> And while I would like to keep some of my more specific contact information private, I am open to receiving messages through John if there's something in particular that you really want me to know or to answer. Uh, if he's willing to be that carrier pigeon, I am happy to receive the message. I am more than happy to be a carrier pigeon. I am both a carrier pigeon, I am a snail mail, and I'm also Pony Express. Uh, it really just depends on my mood ring that day. Man of many talents. I am the beast boy of messengers. That's what I was thinking of. Not Ben <laughs> 10, beast boy. <laughs> and as always, you're always more than welcome to contact me if you have any more questions of legalism, perfectionism, what's helped me, uh, what were my pitfalls. If you're a mentor looking for how do I help somebody or if you're going through that yourself and you want to be want to be heard, if you want a safe space, feel free to contact me. And if there's anything that Hannah can help out with as well, she is more knowledgeable than I am. Uh, she is studying this to make money doing it. I am doing it from the comfort of my own closet. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you haven't yet, what are you doing? Go follow it on Instagram, underscore, forgive me, father. 
And then on Facebook, I have a Facebook page for this podcast, Forgive Me Father Podcast. Give it a follow. That way you can know other updates on what's going on with the podcast, different conversations, different topics where we continue to bridge the gap uh, and discuss how different walks of life and different aspects of life really do complement or conflict or just go along with a relationship with God in general. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks.